Thank, thank you, team. You guys can have a seat. And uh, the kids, I want the kids to stay in here for a few uh, minutes uh, because I think there's something going on maybe in the lives of children, either this past week or this coming week, that's super important, right? What's going on, kids? What's the big event in your life this week? What are you doing? School, back to school, right? So listen, we want to pray for you this morning as a church family, all right? And uh, one of my friends, one of our members, Mary-Kate DeFrança, who is a teacher here locally and uh, also one of our uh, Redemption Kids teachers she, and also a parent uh, of, a, of a teenager in school, she is going to pray over our children, our educators, and our parents and guardians, because who knows parents need a little prayer too, right? So, uh, so if you fit one of those categories, we want you to stand uh, because we want to pray over you this morning. So if you're a kid going back to school, if you are a teacher in, in any form serving as in education, or if you are a parent or guardian, please go ahead and stand right now. Don't be bashful, all right? And Mary-Kate is going to pray over you. So uh, thank you, Mary-Kate, for leading us. All right, if you're near one of those people, you can just reach your hand out. Let's pray for them together. Lord, this morning we just thank you for this chance to gather together. Lord, just to celebrate this new season. Lord, it's just such an exciting time for students and for parents and teachers. But God, there's sometimes also big emotions, big feelings. And Lord, I just pray over these children in this room, Lord. Some have started, some are starting this week. God, we just pray for those who are in classrooms and schools, Lord, that you just would, um, Lord, just give them your peace. God, that they would know that you're with them, that you're guiding them, that you're directing them. Lord, that they would just sense your presence with them if they're in elementary, junior high, high school. Lord, those are sitting in college classrooms around our city. Lord, that they just would know that you are with them. Lord, we pray for, for those who are doing homeschool, who are doing alternative situations with school. God, that you just would be with them and their families as they just start this new journey this year, this, this fall. And God, that you just would um, be present. Lord, those that are um, sending off kids maybe for the first time this year. God, parents that are saying goodbye, dropping their kids off at these different buildings and, and places, God, that they just would have peace and know that you are with them, that you are going to go before them, Lord, that this is going to be an exciting adventure for them. And God, we just we pray for all these college students who are coming to our, to our city, um, Lord, to our church even in the next week or so. Lord, those are going to be just um, filling up some of these pews, that they just would know that this is a family. Lord, as they're choosing to be here in this place for... Um, in this area for education, that they, don't, they would also just find you. And, yeah. um, Lord, that we just would, would love on them and care for them. Lord, I pray for the teachers that are here, those that are educating kids all the way from early intervention to, um, to college. Lord, that you just would, Lord, just give them your strength, God. Um, it's been a really rough few years for educators. And, yeah. God, we just pray that you just would give them a renewing and an excitement for the things that you've called them to do, God, that they would, um, they would sense you just leading and guiding and directing as they're educating and caring for the kids that are in their room. And Lord, for these parents that are um, just, they're, yeah, dropping off kids, sending kids to school, God, that you just would um, just wrap your arms around them too. Maybe that's a joyful time, maybe that's a sad time, but God, you know um, what everyone needs, and, and we just pray that you just would, would remind us that, um, of Lord, your presence and your peace. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mary Kay. You can take it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, kids, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed to Redemption Kids this morning. And uh, bef before I uh, begin uh, sharing from God's word today, I have a few things I want to share. So you can go and actually turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be starting in verse 12. Uh, but as you turn there, uh, first off, I want to welcome all of our guests. So if you are new to Redemption Hill, whether you're here at Mefford High School joining us online uh, today, uh, so thankful that you've come to, to worship with us. And you can take a moment, download our RHC Church app. It's a great way to connect, to be resourced, and we would love to hear from you. There's a digital connect card that you can fill out so that we can connect with you sometime this week. Uh, then also a few just 
pieces of information and encouragements for the coming week. Number one, uh, tomorrow is Labor Day. We often host a Labor Day cookout. Uh, well, number one, it's probably going to be pouring down rain. All right. And number two, our plan this year was to switch it up and encourage you just to connect with friends, neighbors uh, in your, in your uh, relational uh, spheres. So, you know, please do that anyway. You know, even if you can't grill out, have somebody over to your home and uh, hang out uh, for Labor Day. Then next week is our fall kickoff as a church. So uh, that means groups are launching. And on your way in, our connections team handed you a group's list of various community groups, also our student group, that will be meeting not this week, but the week of September 12th. And following. So uh, note these options. There are four groups that are meeting on Tuesday nights in various communities. We have one meeting in Medford on Wednesday night and then also student group again on Friday nights. So I want to encourage you not only to look at the options. You may say, oh, that's my group. I'm coming back to my group. Or, hey, I want to switch things up this year. I want to visit a new group. Uh, we encourage everyone to get connected with a group at Redemption Hill. Sundays are awesome. Sundays are so important for our spiritual journey. Uh, but it's important to walk with others, encourage one another as we journey with Jesus. So we would love for you to, to take a minute to register for a group. Just express interest. Uh, you can scan the QR code. You can go to our app and express interest through uh, the groups tab on our app. Then also with our fall kickoff, we have our college welcome back lunch. So college students, uh, spread the word. If you're connected to a college student, let them know uh, that's going to be happening after the service as well as a chili fest, fest for everyone, right? So uh, be here next Sunday. Great Sunday to bring a friend as people get back into fall rhythms, uh, perhaps more open to kind of consider coming to church or coming back to church. So uh, and bring a friend. If you haven't signed up to uh, bring some chili and you're interested in that. I think we have a few spots left uh, so that people can celebrate what a good cook you are. Uh, and then it's also the fall kickoff, right? So if you want to wear your favorite uh, Patriots jersey, I didn't say football, I said Patriots jersey, feel free to do that, right? You don't have to do that, but you can do that. Um, and, and, then, and then finally, uh, just note that our next covenant class is the following Sunday on September 18th. And uh, that's a, a great step to get to know Redemption in a uh, more just, just wholehearted, deeper way, who we are, what we're about, how we function as a church family. All right, so uh, this morning we're back in 1 Corinthians looking at how the cross meets us in our chaotic lives. And we've been uh, honing in on this, this theme, this topic of sex. And as we were singing uh, this, this song, Sea of Victory, I couldn't help but think about the times in my life and, and as a pastor, as I've counseled people and encouraged people where uh, there is no doubt God made us as sexual beings, as male and female. And he made us with sexual desires that ultimately need to be submitted to him and his plan for our lives. And yet we know that, that at times, as with any temptation, sexual temptation can feel like a battle. Where, where we have these desires that don't line up with God's desires for our lives as sexual beings. And, and we need to depend on him. We need to ask for his help to see that kind of victory, consistent victory in our lives. And so today I want to give you some, some help, some, some not just teaching from the scripture, but a practical tool at the end of our, our time where it's going to help you fight the battle. It's going to help you uh, say yes to God's ways and no's, no to the ways of the world and the, the, the schemes of the evil one to pull us away from our devotion to Jesus Christ. So if you would, read with me as I read verses 12 through 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as we think about sex and our bodies. Sex and our bodies. This is what Paul writes, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, 
but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy, destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that as we dive into your truth, God, in a, in a topic that uh, is, is so important, so crucial for uh, just, just really our journey in life, much less our spiritual journey, even more our spiritual journey. So God, give us, give us ears to hear. God, give us humble hearts that want to receive from you. God, there's so much in our culture that, that, that sends mixed messages about sex and sexuality that even as believers in Christ, as those who are learning the way of Jesus, it can be so much to process and work through. And so God, help us to line our thoughts up with your thoughts. God, help us to align our hearts with your heart. And to live the life that Jesus would live. To follow him everywhere he leads us to go. We pray in his name. Amen. The overarching encouragement that I want to give us this morning is that we have to understand God's design for our body and sexual health. Okay, that's, that's the overarching encouragement encouragement today. Understand God's design for your body and sexual health. And to, to get us there, to work our way through this section of scripture, I want to give you four declarations that I hope you will learn to speak over your life as truths from right here, the word of God. All right, so four declarations. The first one is this. My body was made by God for God. All right, if you're, if you're taking notes, write that down. Okay, first declaration. My body, this, this body, these arms, these legs, this, this head, these eyes, these fingers, okay. This body was made by God for God. And what we find here as we uh, work our way through verses 12 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 6, it almost flows like an imaginary conversation, all right? If you're paying attention to the text, you notice that the first words are in quotation marks, all right? And what the, this is not Paul's words. These are the words of the Corinthians. Some scholars called them a Corinthian slogan. These were everyday, you know, sayings of the people in Corinth that were used to actually, check this out, justify their behavior. And so the first one is this. All things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. The word lawful speaks to a right to act, the authority to act, to do what we please. What they were doing is this. They were twisting their freedom in Christ. Christ set us free from sin, but they were not living out their true freedom in Christ, but they were twisting it saying, now God has set me free and I can do whatever I want to do. And Paul responds by saying this, hey, you may be free in Christ, but not everything is helpful 
for you. Another translation would say, not everything is beneficial for you. So, so we need to ask before we do anything, does this, would this benefit me? Would this be helpful to me? Would this benefit others? Would this be helpful to others? The question we ask is not, can I do something, but should I do something? Does this reflect that which is beautiful, good, and true? And then Paul goes on with the second uh, rebuttal. He says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Not only will, will maybe this action not be helpful to me, but this action can potentially enslave me. There is an irony going on here that our freedom can actually lead to a form of slavery. And this is how it works. Don't, don't miss this, all right. Sin invites us in through deception. And it says, hey, this is good for you. It's going to bring you pleasure. This is what you need to be about. But then sin says, just one more time. Just, just one more time. And then all of the sudden, if left unchecked, it begins to dominate us. Jesus even said in John chapter 8, everyone who makes a practice of sin is a slave to sin. In other words, if, if you make the pattern of your life, this is all of our lives before we meet Jesus, that we are actually in chains to our sinful desires. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say just everyone who makes a practice of sin is a slave to sin. That's true. But then he goes on to say what? But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, you will be truly free. The life that we all want and long for is available to us. We don't have to be chained to our sinful ways any longer, but we can walk in the goodness of God. But then we find another Corinthian slogan in verse 13. Check this out. It's also in quotation marks. It says this, what? Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, let's pause. I believe the quotation mark in the ESV where we read from on Sunday mornings, okay, I believe it's in the wrong spot, all right. I believe the quotation mark should keep running and the Corinthian slogan is actually saying food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. Okay, I think that's the whole part of their slogan. I'm about to unpack that for you. So essentially what's going on here, uh, there seems to be two lines of thought. Number one, the, the Corinthians are essentially, essentially arguing that, that sex, sexual desire, is just like the, the desire for food. I mean, we got to eat, right? Like we all get hungry. And so when we get hungry, what do we do? We Go to the refrigerator, we, you know, go to the, whatever, we, we make us a sand. What? And so they're like reducing sexual desire to that same kind of impulse that must be fulfilled. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you, you've got you've to twist it. It doesn't work like that. Number two, they're also saying, I can do anything I want with my body because when I die, my body is done. My, my body's no more, so it's not that important. What matters is my soul, my spirit. So I'm just going to do whatever I want with my body because in the end, we're going to die. It doesn't mean that much anyway. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, you're wrong on both accounts. What we have here in verse 13 is an introduction to Paul's primary argument for sexual ethics. And what he unpacks here is what some, actually the Roman Catholics do the best job with this from Pope John Paul II. I don't agree with Catholicism on many fronts, all right. But, but I want to give credit where credit is due. Their theology of the body is better than what you're going to find in most Protestant uh, churches and writings. And right here we find a theology of the body. Did you notice that Paul mentions the body in verse 13? In verse 14, in verse 15, in verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. Paul is saying in the opening statement, our bodies were made by God. 
And consequently, if they're made by God, as we see in Genesis 1, they're made for God. We are not just souls, all right? Souls that have thoughts and affections and emotions and desires. But we are embodied souls. Tanner Turley has a soul that you can't see, but my soul is wrapped in a physical body that is made by God. And if it's made by God, guess what? It is good. And it's God's body. Genesis 1 tells us that God made us male and female. And while our culture would tell us that our psychology is our sexual identity and our body should conform to it, God is saying our body is our sexual identity and our psychology should conform to it. And now let me say, as we said last week with homosexuality, if you have a friend that's transgender, if you, if you know someone that's struggling with gender dysphoria, listen, they are welcome to come and learn the ways of Jesus in our church. But, but God is clear in terms of his design for our lives, our, his design as male and female, as sexual beings. He's clear about the, the goodness of sex and the goodness of our embodied souls. And this is so important. It's important to understand the historical context here because what's going on is the Corinthians, okay, where was Corinth? Corinth was in modern-day Greece. And the Greeks followed the line of thought of one of their favorite teachers named Plato. And Plato espoused a, a dualistic philosophy that said the material world, the physical world is bad and the immaterial or the spiritual world is good. And so if you look at their view of salvation, their view of salvation was that the soul would eventually be freed from the body. And if that's how you think that the body is bad but the spirit, the soul is good, then it probably doesn't matter a lot what we do with our bodies. And I just want to say this. Christians today often live as modern-day Greeks. We, we, we might even say, yeah, Pastor Tanner, yeah, God made me, that's great. But, but let me ask you, do you neglect your physical health? Do you ever, I used to be really guilty of this. I want to confess it to you, and I've changed, and God helped me change even more. I used to reduce everything to a spiritual problem. And, and we can't, we're, we're embodied souls, right? So we always have to pay, pay attention to the spiritual reality within us. I would say it's always present at some level, right? Because we're beings created by God for God. But, but it's not, we're, we're, we're embodied souls. Our, our physiology and, 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 and our, the chemical imbalances and all kinds of things are going on within us as we are fallen people with imperfect bodies. What, what about this? Do you ever, have you ever wrongly assumed that Jesus is not bringing a spiritual heaven one day to a physical earth to set up his forever kingdom? I mean, that's what, we, we're not going to die and then go live for all eternity in heaven. Heaven one day is going to come down to a restored and renewed earth. And if you don't believe my word for it, go read Revelation 21 where it's plain as day. At times we can live as modern-day Greeks. We can devalue the body. We can only focus on that which is spiritual. But hear this, and please hear this clearly. God forever put infinite value on our bodies. When? When he took one on for himself. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal son of God wrapped himself in a body. which should ever, forever settle the case that our bodies are valuable to God. They matter to God. They should matter to us, to one another. 
Paul brings one more word of correction in verse 14. He says, he says, God is not going to destroy the body. God is going to raise our bodies. So, so, so by the way, here's a, here's a little tip for reading the Bible, for, for like discerning theology and working things out, right? If you know the first three chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible, you can basically fill everything else in. Because creation tells us the way that God meant for our world to be, the way that he meant for our lives to be, what he made us to experience. And Genesis 3 tells us why everything went wrong, but even points us to the Redeemer, the one who was going to save us. And Revelation 21 and 22 tell us when that's going to ultimately finally be fulfilled. And so God made our bodies to live with him forever. Not just souls floating around in, you know, space, but he made us with real bodies to live with him, to walk with him forever. And one day when Jesus returns, we are going to be raised bodily. This is, by the way, this is a side note. We can talk about it later. Not here to be dogmatic about this, but I'm not a big fan of cremation because God's going to raise our bodies. Now, listen, if that's your plan, that's not like a Bible verse issue, but it's something to think through. Why? Because our bodies matter. Our bodies are going to be raised in Romans 8, 22 through 24. Talk about this as well as the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 we'll get to in a couple of months. So Paul is what? Paul is responding to the modern day slogans in Corinth. All things are lawful for me, food for the stomach, stomach for food, God's going to destroy them both, we can do whatever we want, body doesn't matter. But think about this. Paul's arguments here about the body, about our bodies being made by God for God, they actually address 21st century slogans too. Slogans like, to each his own. Slogans like, you do you, I'll do me. Slogans like, my body, my choice. Slogans like, love is love. Which what we're saying there is that I can love whoever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I determine the course of my life. And what we're saying here with love and compassion is that God determines the course of our life. God made us to know him, to love him, to find, I can't wait to get to the end of this sermon, to find the true and better, lasting, ultimate satisfaction in him. So number one, our bodies were made by God for God. Number two, Paul says, look, if you are in Christ, this is your second declaration, my body is one with Christ. Look at verse 15. What does he say? Do you not know? Paul says, do you not know? Three times he's reasoning with them. He's, he's trying to pull them in to help them see the error of their thinking. He says, do you not know that your, member, your bodies are members of Christ? So I want you just to, to pause and think about this, okay? If you follow Jesus, this is true for you. If you don't yet follow Jesus, the invitation is for you to start a relationship with him today. And you can begin to experience this reality that he is in you and you are in him. Wild. Wild truth that we believe and experience. So now listen, Paul's reasoning is this. If that is true, if Christ is in you and you are in him and you are one together... It is unbelievable that you would go make yourself, who is one with Jesus, one with a prostitute. To say it another way, Paul finds it wildly unimaginable that they would dehumanize another person made in God's image and reduce them to a service to fulfill their perverted sexual desires. This was common in Corinth. We told you the, the church of Corinth had all kinds of mess going on. And, and the, the culture, it was like we think Vegas was Sin City. Okay, like Vegas has nothing on Corinth. There was a temple devoted to Aphrodite, the sex goddess, outside of the city. And there were literally over a thousand prostitutes there offering services. So it was Incredibly accessible, incredibly affordable, and also relatively anonymous. 
And Paul goes on to say this, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? We're just talking about sexual union here, physical sexual intimacy. And then this would surely be obvious to them as they start to reason out what Paul is saying. But just to make sure that they're on the same page, Paul goes back to the very beginning. What did I say? Genesis 1, 2, 3. And he quotes Genesis 2, 24 that says what? Therefore a father shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. Paul's saying this is what it's like. This is, and it's not just, remember, not just body, not just physical. Why? Because we are what? We are embodied souls. Sexual intercourse brings two people together as one. And because, listen, because we are more than bodies, it is more than flesh that is coming together. We as embodied souls bring our relational and emotional and spiritual selves into the sexual act. That's why if you've given yourself over to sexual sin, like most every human being at some point that I know has, you have scars. You have emotional and mental baggage that affects you in a way that some of the other sinful experiences that you've partaken of do not affect you. There's no such thing as a casual sexual no matter how much a hookup culture may try to paint it the other way. Please hear this. Sex is very good. God made us as sexual beings. It's very good. It's very beautiful. It's very true. It's very pleasurable. It's very sacred. Which is why God wants to reserve it for the sacred context of Two people, a husband and a wife, that are devoted to one another in covenant marriage. Sometimes, and parents, let's make sure we're listening here, okay. Sometimes the church is like, no, 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 sex is bad, 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 bad. Don't do this. Don't watch porn. Don't do whatever. And it's like, wait a minute. Yes, it's bad in certain contexts, but it's also very, 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 very good according to God's design and we need to hear both messages as the people of God Paul finishes by saying in verse 17 look at this but but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him so to, to translate that just pastor Tanner style let me let me tell you what Paul is saying you are one with Christ where you go he goes it's that intimate. You are out of your ever-loving minds if you think you can play sexual games and not get burned and not bring shame to the name of Jesus. You say, oh, Pastor Tanner, hey, you know, haven't hooked up with any prostitutes lately. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> What about another ultra-available, ultra-affordable, ultra-anonymous digital form of communication known as pornography? Pornography is addictive, destructive, and what we need to hear, listen, pornography is demonic. It's not heavenly. It's not from God. Studies show that 91% of men and 60% of women have been exposed to pornography in the, in the last month. And if we can keep it real here this morning, the stats are not that much better in the church. So if I can keep it real, real, I know that some of you are super uncomfortable right now that I'm talking about it because you're under a lot of conviction from the Holy Spirit saying, yep, that's you. Yep, you didn't know that Pastor Tanner was going to talk about this today, but I sent you to church because I love you and I care for you and I want you to hear this again. The 
people at Fight the New Drug, which is a non-religious, non-legislative, non-profit, tell us that pornography use works like a drug, changing the chemical responses in our brains. They tell us that pornography normalizes the objectification of both men and women. They tell us that pornography increases stress, loneliness, depression, and anxiety. They tell us that pornography not only destroys sexual intimacy, but it promotes sexual violence and fuels sex trafficking. You don't only just affect you when you click that button one more time. And God, forgive us. God, forgive me when that was in my past, Lord. This is serious. We need to take action. We need to be radical. We talked about this last week or the week before. I can't remember. Jesus said, look, if, if you lust after a woman or a, consequently a man in, in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So gouge out your eye. It's that serious. Take action. Get software accountability programs that block pornography from the ever-present presence on your phone, on your laptop, on your tablet. Speak with a trusted friend or two that will walk with you through prayer and encouragement. Listen, Redemption Hill, we have to be a safe space. I've, I've heard the stories of like, oh, I grew up in churches. And if you ever like shared that you ever struggled with a sin, then you were like ostracized and you were never, you know, welcome back. And it's like, hey, guess what? That's not our church. Our church. And if it is, then come to one of the pastors and say, hey, this is what's going on. Because we're going to say, uh-uh, that's not what's going to be going on around here. Because we... We talked about this last week. When we sin, we feel a, a proper sense of shame for our sin. But then that shame keeps us in the dark and we never share it with anyone else. And then we never get help. We never get prayer. We never get encouragement. We never get resource to fight the good fight of faith. So listen, if you, there's a counseling form on our website that if, if you want to fill that out and receive pastoral or even professional help, we can send you right to a professional. You don't have to come to anyone in our church. But don't walk alone when it comes to sexual temptation. Our bodies are made by God and for God. Our bodies are one with Christ. And then Paul would say this, number three. The third declaration that we need to speak and cling to is this. My body is a home for the Holy Spirit. When someone decides to follow Jesus, when someone gives their life to God, God gives his life to them. And now the Holy Spirit dwells with it. He's taken up residence in our lives. So God is saying, look, honor the Holy Spirit by living a holy life. How do we do it? Verse 18 of chapter 6. Look at this. Flee. If you don't use that word every day, here's what it means. Run. There is a time to fight and there is a time to flee. And sometimes the best fighting sin is fleeing from sin. Just go read Genesis chapter 39, the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You say, oh, no, Pastor Tanner, I'm going to show everyone how strong I am. I'm going to show God how strong I am. I'm going to go to the strip club and show everybody what great resolve I have because I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. You're going to go to the strip club and show everybody what a fool you are. That's what's going to happen. We need, we need to run. We need to flee. And there are two reasons that Paul gives for this. Number one, in verse 18, he says, 
that when we sin, we sin against our own body. Now, I want to read this because it's, it's incredibly difficult to understand what's going on here. Uh, but, but this is what it says. Flee sex from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, there are a lot of interpretations of this verse. And I don't stand before you today and sit with 100% certainty that I understand exactly what this is saying. But I think I'm, I think I'm close. I was actually introduced to a, a, an interpretation I never heard before from a brilliant scholar named Richard Hayes at Duke University who says that what seems to be going on here is that there is an additional Corinthian slogan that is not in quotation marks in most of our Bibles, maybe all of our Bibles. And so the, the conversation would go something like this. Again, Paul's kind of having this imaginary conversation with him. And Paul's saying, when you face sexual temptation, what do you do? You run. But the Corinthians come back and they say, why, Paul? Every sexual sin, uh, every sin a person commits is outside the body. In other words, listen, bodily actions are not significant which fits what the previous slogan, food for the stomach, stomach for, the for food, but God will destroy them both. So Paul then answers, when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. Not only are you uniting with another person physically, but as we just said, you are bringing your whole self, emotional, relational, spiritual self into that act, and it is harmful to you. That's my best with verse 18. Go study it and have fun and tell me if you disagree later. It's cool. We'll have a fun conversation. But then his, his second reason for running is, is found in verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? Again, we are, we are to be walking temples of worship. The very presence of God within us so that in everything, whatever we're doing, Whatever we're doing, whatever we're watching, wherever we're going, we are giving our whole selves to our holy God. That's Paul's heart here. He says your bodies were made by God for God. Your bodies, if you follow Jesus, are one with Christ. They are, they are also a home for the Holy Spirit, which brings us to the fourth and final declaration this morning. If all these things are true, if you're saying my body is made by God for God, and my body is one with Jesus Christ, and my body is a home for the Holy Spirit, then here's the fourth declaration. Therefore, I must glorify God with my body. How do we do that? Verses 19 and 20 tell us one more time. Remember that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ? I told you, Paul, he keeps applying the cross as the solution to every one of our issues and problems. He says, look, Jesus loved you so much and he cared about your sin so much that he took it upon himself in order to set you free. So now you belong to him, so live in step with this new identity and reality of your forgiveness and your new life in Jesus Christ. If Jesus thought your sin was serious enough to take it on himself and die for it, then you should view it the same way and run from it and live for him as you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we think about discipleship at Redemption Hill, we've, we've come up with what we call seven pursuits of a disciple. These, these are seven rhythms of our lives that we want to be about on the, the daily to say, God, my life is yours. And as I follow Jesus, I'm all about whatever he's all about. The first one says to seek God daily with passion and joy. Every single day, God, I love you. My life is for you. I'm all about your business. The second pursuit is this, surrender daily to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So God wants to lead us in his ways. He wants us to, to follow the ways of Jesus. And you say, well, Tanner, I'm all about that, but help me do it. Well, let me give you a tool to help you fight sin 
in your life, to flee from sin in your life. It's, it's an acronym, super simple. Just remember, double R, double P. All right, got that? Double R, double P. You might want to write this down. Number one, this is what we do. When we face sexual temptation, by the way, have you not learned yet that when God introduces a subject on a Sunday, he's probably going to test you on it Monday. Get ready. Especially if you're the preacher. Number one, refuse the temptation in Jesus' name. Refuse the temptation in Jesus' name. We, we are saying no. If you need to say it out loud, say it out loud. If you're with other people and that's too awkward and weird, don't say it out loud. Say it silently. Maybe just give it a little head shake. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, thank you. Not going there. Why? Because Jesus refused the temptation, not just generic, but refused the temptation in Jesus' name. I follow Jesus. My life is given to Jesus. Jesus died for me. I am all about what he's all about. We refuse the temptation in Jesus' name, number one. Number two, we replace the temptation with Scripture. Replace the temptation with Scripture. This is what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. We read about it in Matthew 4 and Luke chapter 4. We fight the lies of the enemy with truth. So Satan is like, hey, they're so fine. They look so good. And we come back and say, yo, Mr. Fallen, Jesus was so serious about this that he said, I, I should rather gouge out my eye than dishonor them and myself and my God. Satan says, I know you're lonely. Just compromise one time. And we answer and say, lonely, I'm not lonely. My God is with me, Psalm 23. I've got a bunch of brothers and sisters that I can call Acts 2 and 4. And one time was enough to separate me from my God, James chapter 2, verse 10. So I'm not trifling with your games, Ephesians 5, 3. You see how this works? Satan says, no one knows. Can we just use a little logic? You just said no one knows, but you know. <laughs> you know. God, God knows. Proverbs 5.21, and God said, nothing that is secret will remain in the dark. Mark 4.22. We replace the lies with truth. And then once we've refused the temptation in Jesus' name, we've replaced the temptation with Scripture, then we pray the other way. And this is where it gets really good, all right? Because Christianity is not just a list of don'ts. It's not just a lot of rules that we have to follow that are, like, designed to rob us of fun and pleasure and joy in life. But Christianity is a new way that is infinitely better. So we, when we're tempted to pride, we pray for humility. When we're tempted to greed, we pray for generosity. When we're tempted to lust, we pray for love. When we're tempted to give in, we pray for self-control. When we're tempted to settle for less, we pray to see the infinite riches of Christ and his kingdom. We remember what Thomas Chalmers said a few centuries ago in this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He said that the only way, listen to this, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. You say, Tanner, you're talking this 19th century jargon. I don't understand what you just said. Let me translate that into 2022, okay? The only way to get an old love out of your heart that doesn't ultimately fulfill you is by replacing it with a better love that is more satisfying. Don't see us, Lewis, that we're like children that are content playing in the mud when God is offering us vacation at the sea. Jesus said it himself. We're going to throw it all the way back to the first sermon, April, April 10, 2011 at Redemption Hill. Matthew 13, 44, one verse sermon that you can play for your whole life. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found it and then he covered it up. 
Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything, everything else in his life so that he can buy the field. What that's saying is Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than pornography. He's better than the next hookup. He's better than any sexual temptation. Oh, God, help us to believe it. Help us to live it today, tonight, tomorrow night, next week, next month. We refuse the temptation. We replace the temptation. We pray the other way. And then we're going to sing a victory. We're going to sing a victory. We're going to praise God for the victory that he gives us. God, you did it. God, you helped me. God, you helped me say no. You helped me refuse. You brought that scripture to mind. I knew that wasn't worth it. And I prayed the other way. And God, I'm still standing firm, not as a perfect person, but as someone who loves you. And I am just who I am by your grace. This is how God is going to shine through us. This is how we're going to glorify God in our bodies. And so what I want to do is this. I want to ask the, the music team to join me on stage. And we're going, to, we're going to spend some time praying and then singing about how we're no longer slaves to fear. We're no, we don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear temptation. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. But we've been made new. And we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us live the life of Christ. And so what I want to encourage you to do is this. Just not, not thinking about the people around you and everything else going on. And, but just you and God. Where you face sexual temptation. And you've given in. One too many times. I want to tell you, God already knows that. He's fully aware of everything that's happened in your life. This week, this year, your whole life. He just wants you to agree with him about how he sees it. That's what confession is. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I see that that's not honoring to you. I see that's not what you made me for. I see that my body belongs to you, that there's a better way, that you have a better plan. Just confess that to the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. If anyone confesses their sin, God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. God's going to make you clean right now. God, we thank you that you make us clean when we come to you in humility. So God, we pray that you would set people free here in the room. God, we pray that you would make Redemption Hill Church a holy church, a church that is so serious about honoring you and glorifying you, God, that, that we are different, Lord, not because we're better or anything, but just because we've been changed by your goodness and grace. So God, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us this week. Help us to get the help we need. Lord, help us to help one another, God. Help us to not be so afraid to have a conversation. Hey, how are you doing in this area of your life? The untouchable conversations in life, in the church. Like, how's your sex life? How's sexual temptation? God, help us. You made us for you. We are yours. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.